It isn't a story about ghosts or goblins. There's no fright night, no midnight story. There's nothing about a nightmare on any street. But yet, this story that we read in Acts 10, I believe, is one of the scariest stories for you and I to read in Scripture. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But first, I think you need to remember something important about Acts 10. And we begin with Peter, because he is a big part of Acts 10. And Peter was, just like many other people in Scripture, he was a man of Jewish, Jewish descent. He was a Jew. Now, what's important for us to realize about that, that in his faith, people just like him, ever since they came into the world, were always told that they were a chosen generation, a chosen people selected by God, that within all the people of the world, God handpicked the Jewish people to be his people. Indeed, that's what Scripture reminds us, that the Jewish people are God's own people. And so Peter heard that over and over. And he heard about the calling of being a special people. But you know how it is for us. Sometimes we take and we hear what is so good and it kind of becomes its own thing for us. So maybe for Peter and others like him, this chosen people of God thing began to become sort of a... That's right. I'm chosen, and you're not. We are the beloved people of God, and anyone who is not like us is not. That's why we have the distinction in Scripture. There's Jew and Gentile. There are people who are Jewish. There is everybody else, according to their mindsets. And so Peter has learned this since he was so small that he is a part of God's chosen people. He is set apart. He is special. And then he gets to a point in his life when he starts walking around with Jesus. Jesus, much like him in some ways. Jesus begins to teach that God has this crazy kind of love and affection for everybody. Peter hears this. It becomes a part of what Peter is supposed to do with his life as well. And he hears about the love of God, that God has come to be with his people, that God has come to show the light, that God has come to show forgiveness, that God has come to show the kingdom of God so that we might live by it, so that we might know what true peace is. That's what we find in Jesus' message. That's what we find in his life as well. There's a part of Jesus' ministry after he's come and done all the Jesus stuff, he says, okay, it's time for me to go. It's your turn. And Peter gets up and he starts to preach about all the things that he's learned about Jesus. And he talks about uh, what he's seen in Jesus and the things that he was able to do with his own hands as he walked with Jesus. But in the back of Peter's mind, there was still this idea that all of this Jesus stuff, that all of this God love stuff, was for people like him. Because what began to happen as Peter started talking about God's love, people heard and people said, I believe. The issue came 
when people who were not like Peter at all, at least religious affiliation, they believed as well. This posed a problem for Peter because we are God's people. And Jesus came to tell us what we've already known, maybe what we've forgotten. It's not for you to hear. It's for us. And so as much as Peter is proclaiming the love and the salvation of God, part of what he is thinking is, it's for me and my kind. That's a hard thing to swallow, a hard thing to think about, but as you read the beginning parts of Acts, you realize that's the big struggle that the church has. What do we do with all these people who believe who are not like us? But then, the light bulb goes off. You ever had one of those moments? Maybe you've been thinking about something, and you know, what do I do, and how do I get through this, or what do I gotta, how, do I, how do I make it? And all of a sudden, it's become so clear. The switch turns on. Peter's laying there one day, and he has a dream. Boy, he has the craziest dream he's probably ever had in his life. Something about animals and sheets and spread around the, the world. And he, he, get told, he gets told three times, you know, what I've made holy, don't profane. He, he just don't understand it. He wakes up thinking, oh, my goodness, I need to lay off the sauerkraut. It's just my, oh. But he can't shake this dream. What does it mean? And as he's thinking about what this dream might mean, he gets an invitation to go to someone's house. Go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius. Huh. That's a Greek name, isn't it? He's not one of us. Peter's kind of confused. Goes anyway. It's funny, if you read that encounter, as they go, he goes to Cornelius' house. He says, hey, you need to know. I I know you know this. I'm not even supposed to be here. Jews and Gentiles are not supposed to mix. What in the world did you call me here for? Cornelius says, I had my own dream. In my dream, I was told to make sure you come to my house. Light bulb for Peter. That's where we pick up in the story. Where Peter is there at Cornelius' home with his family and everybody else. He says, I get it. I truly understand. God shows no partiality. I get it. And I think for the history of the church, for the history of Christ's mission, that is a victory mark. Because if Peter can understand it, and all this preaching, this mission that he is on, if he can get that, he can make sure that others get it as well. That this whole God business is not just for people like Peter, it's for everyone. And realize that I think most of us here would be in the other classification. That God's business was for all of us. No matter where we were born, no matter who our parents are, you know, what church we ever found ourselves in before. But here is where I think the story gets a little scary, at least for me. Ever since he was small, Peter was told he and his people were special. They were. 
But ever since he was small, ever since he grew up, he's in school, he's becoming a young man, he's being told the same thing. And he's believed the same thing. It's, 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 it's indicated in the way he talks. You can see how this comes out in his words, his attitude and this belief that he has about God's work being limited. And now he is in the living room of Cornelius, who is one of those other people. He comes to a great realization. And I don't say this based on the original Greek or verb usage or anything like this, but I think part of what Peter understands as he sits there in that house is, I was wrong. I don't know if that scares you or not. It scares me. Here Peter held on to this belief and this opinion that he had for all of his life and seemingly in a moment he realizes I was wrong. Now it's scary for me because it makes me think, oh my goodness, what about all the opinions I have? Because I have a lot of opinions. What if some of those are wrong? But, no, I mean, if I was wrong, I would know it, right? It's scary because what about our opinions that we hold on to so tightly? Our opinions that become a part of who we are. What if they are wrong? But we know the freeing of those words, don't we? I was wrong. Maybe we've experienced in some of our relationships, maybe with a spouse or even with our children, a boss, a co-worker. Of course, that is a whole part of our experience with God, that we realize, God, I was wrong about how I was living my life. I was wrong about how I was turning from you. And when we use those words, when those words become a part of how we live, there is a freeing of life. Certainly I think that was so for Peter. And certainly I think it's so for us still today. But we've got to be careful, I think, with our opinions. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Opinions are important. Opinions, I think, are a result of rational thinking. Right? We're given brains by God and when we put them to use, we start thinking things. Kind of funny how that works, right? And so we get opinions Opinions in and of themselves are not bad, but what happens is we start latching on to opinions. We start letting those opinions divide what God has brought together. That's what happened with Peter. What happened to a whole part of the church. They just couldn't understand how their opinion of God's work could be wrong. But when our opinions start dividing God's work, that's what the FBI calls a clue. Opinions are not bad. Opinions are a part of what we know about God, what we know about the Bible, what we know about life. But here is something I think we need to realize, that Christians today, we know far more than we practice. Y'all with me? And somewhere, we made our faith, our faith in the risen God, become all about having the right opinions. 
We made faith in Christ about having the right answers. Maybe we need to realize maybe we're wrong in doing so. Again, opinions are not bad, but they're breaking apart God's work. John Wesley once said, the distinguishing marks of a Methodist are not his opinions of any sort. His assenting to this or to that scheme of religion, his embracing any particular set of notions, his espousing the judgment of one man or of another, all are all quite wide of the point. Opinions are not what make us as God's people, not what make us as Methodists. In fact, John Wesley didn't even like that word Methodist because he knew how it was, I think, how people are. I'm Methodist. I'm over here, and you're over there with your Baptist-y self. Nobody here ever acts like that, I'm sure, but I've heard that it's happened that way. Or I've heard, I'm Methodist. I sprinkle my babies. happens is we let an opinion about something dictate who we are and how other people will know us. Instead, John Wesley also says that a Methodist, true Methodist, not about his, his or her opinion, the Methodist has the love of God shed abroad in his soul by the Holy Spirit given unto him. He loves the Lord his God with all his heart, his soul, and mind. Who cares what you think about what kind of worship songs are more meaningful? Who cares what you think a service is supposed to look like? Who cares what you use for bread, for communion? Those are all opinions. What matters is, do you know that you have been called by God to live a faithful life as not just a Methodist, Methodist Christian. That's who we are. We're not Methodist. We're Methodist Christian. And you know, I have these conversations with people. John, I know that. God's love is for everybody. Huh? Really? We're convinced that God's love was for everybody, but everybody's just not worth my love or my time. Something about action speaking louder than... Yeah, the words are, God's love is for everyone. The actions are, prove it. Because if we are indeed Christian, little Christs, if we are indeed those people who realize that God's love has come, that Emmanuel, God is with us, then we look to Christ and we think, okay, how did he show that? You know what he did? He walked with all of those people for whom God had come to love. He talked with them. Matter of fact, you remember some of the criticism that he faced? He eats with sinners and tax collectors. You know why he eats with them and talks with them? Because they're loved by God. And our faith, Friends, it's not about our opinions. 
Not about what you think. I mean, how, how many of you have ever changed your opinion about something, about God or church, and you really want to base your whole life around an opinion? No. Our life, as God's people, is about how we live faithfully to the calling of God. It's about our willingness to walk with those that nobody else will. It's our willingness to talk with those people who all they want is some other human face in front of them. People don't always need a handout, friends. Sometimes they just need an ear. And that's who we are. And that's what the love of God entails. And that's what Peter realized. It's funny, sometimes church groups will go on mission trips, sometimes the younger, older people, and... Uh, Almost invariably, um, each time you hear it, uh, maybe in different ways, but you almost hear the same thing as those groups come back and they tell the church about uh, their experience and they say something like, wow, you know, we went to so-and-so, maybe it was a different place or a different part of the city or whatever. We we went there and and the people were just like us. Really? What did you expect to find? That's what happens. That's the light bulb that goes off when we start doing what he did, walking and talking with God's people. We realize that maybe we were wrong about them. Maybe we were wrong to think what we thought, to say what we said, to believe what we believed. That's scary. That takes courage. It takes faith. But it also takes love. The love of God. Friends, God is no acceptor of faces. Is what that verse translates out to be. And neither should we. That if the love of God is for all people, then prove it. Would you pray with me? I think we need to pray because sometimes, I don't know, you know how it is, um, faith kind of becomes our own thing, something that's good for us, and we kind of live without any intention of ever sharing it with anyone. And um, we realize that that's not God's calling for us. So if you would, let's uh, free our hearts then. And God, we ask that uh, you would indeed remind us that we are loved by you. So so are all your people. Your love has come to be with all of us. So forgive us when we haven't been willing to share that love with other people, others based on what we think and what we thought we knew about them. Free our hearts indeed, God, so that we might know what it means to share your love in life-giving and meaningful ways. Help us to know the power that you have when we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.